0: Hello and welcome to the Future Work Life podcast and after a short interlude over the Christmas holidays we're back with a brand new series. Back in fact a little earlier than planned. Why? Partly because I've got some wonderful guests lined up to share their stories and insights with you over the next couple of months but more specifically to today's episode because we start by talking about New Year's resolutions and goal setting to be honest most of it's relevant whatever time of year you're listening but some of it is specific to right now my guest is grace lord and she is an associate professor in behavioral science and director of the inclusion initiative at the london school of economics She's also the author of Think Big, Take Small Steps and Build the Future You Want. Grace and I have a fascinating discussion in which we explore the role of talent, hard work and luck in shaping your career. Grace explains why our emotions matter when it comes to how we receive feedback and act upon it, and how to ensure we feel like we're constantly moving forward towards our goals. All of which requires resilience and a willingness not only to accept failure but to learn from it. Finally we discuss what the future holds with a wide lens how for example people may need to accept a low stuff life and from a personal point of view why should we embrace uncertainty and stop striving to be in control of every single thing we do. Grace is not only an engaging and insightful speaker she's also very generous with her time. We actually recorded this podcast back in October I think it was but lost most of it because of some technical issues so i'm delighted therefore to have had another opportunity to speak with her last week i'm sure you'll love our conversation if you do please also check out grace's book think big which i'll link to in the show notes if you haven't already please subscribe to this podcast and you can join thousands of other people interested in reading my analysis and insights on the future of work by signing up to the future work life newsletter again link in the show notes so without further ado Here's my conversation with Grace and I start by asking her view on New Year's resolutions and whether we should set unrealistic goals for the year ahead.
1: So I think we need to think about New Year's resolutions in three buckets. So the ones that we can do very, very quickly, like a marathon. So decluttering your house is a really good example of that. Um, The second are ones where we want to gain something. So we're trying to kind of move towards something, like maybe acquire a new skill. And then the third is where we want to quit something. So we want to quit smoking. And I think, you know, January is a really good time if what you want to do is declutter your room, cleanse your gut for a few weeks, you know, stop drinking and, and, and overeating or do something else that can be accomplished within a few weeks. And the reason I say that is because there's a social norm of setting New Year's resolutions at the start of January. But there's also a social norm of quitting New Year's resolution. So Quitter's Day happens around the 19th of January. So that basically means that you harness the social norm in the direction that you're going because your friends aren't drinking and eating too much anyway. You get to feel good come the 19th. But because you haven't um, committed to something where you're trying to gain a skill or, 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 or quit smoking even, you aren't falling off the wagon and we're much more likely to fall off the wagon for the gaining a skill or quitting smoking resolutions simply because there's nobody there to hold us to account at that particular time of year because most of our social circle are going to be falling off the bandwagon at the same time so for those I think do it at any other time of the year that's either north or south of new year's day and quitters
0: day Mm -hmm. good yeah I think by the time this podcast goes out, it will be past the 19th of January. So I hope everybody pushed through. And uh, if not, I think the message is it doesn't have to be the 1st of January that we start creating new behaviours and new habits, does it?
1: I mean, your commitment device of telling other people would be stronger at any other time of the year. So I don't know when, you, when this will go out. But if it's February, March, April, May, much better time than the 1st yeah. of January. And I, and I have to ask you, what was your New Year's resolution?
0: I stopped drinking pre-new year but that was mainly because i was I, I, I was ill my new year's resolution is to stick to my own advice but a lot of the time i advise people to put their mental and phys- physical well-being first literally the first thing to plan in your day in your week is how am i going to fit in time to do whatever you know whatever the things are that you enjoy and get value out for me you know just 10 minutes of meditation a bit of yoga maybe do some exercise uh, and it's so easy to drop those things that my day now starts with, I'm going to prioritize those and then work has to fit around it. Because I think for me personally, good things happen when I stick to those habits. So you, the, test you then is, uh,
1: the test then is, have you fallen off when it comes to news resolutions? <laughs> or Not, when it comes yet. To day. Not yet. Not
0: no. yet. Not yet. I'm determined this year. Yeah, There's I'm time. determined. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Our-
1: I do. I, I've been sticking to it. So my, my, my first resolution was actually to declutter. So I've done a lot of that. And my second is to actually read more. And mm. since New Year's, I've been reading a book a day. Oh, wow. um, so I don't think that's sustainable. So that's definitely going to be one that will drop off on Quitter's Day. But it's still probably 19 more books than I would have read by the time Quitter's Day comes. Yeah, yeah. So I, I feel quite happy with
0: that. Oh, cool, go on then. What's your What's your top three books that you've read so far this year?
1: Oh, they're right here on my desk, so I can actually show them to you. Oh, so I good. have. Oh, these are different. So I have Dory Clark, the the Long Game, which I'm still reading, which must be downstairs. She just released that. Yeah. Then I have A Random yep. Walk Down Wall Street.
0: Okay, um, who's that?
1: And this is by Burton G. Malky. It's really good. It's It's about It's about investing. And right. then this book, which I'm kind of about a third into, that my editor gave me actually. It's called Lost Acre and it's basically a um a fictional book. It's really, really fantastic. So if if you want some escapism, I would recommend yeah. that.
0: Do you do you read a lot of fiction? I because I I, I I another I mean this isn't a resolution, but it was certainly something I told myself I'd do more of last summer when I went away, which is to read more fiction, particularly before I go to bed at night. I think mean, feel like it switches my brain off from thinking about all the stuff I've got to do the next day. Do you are you a big fiction reader?
1: I am. So I, I would normally be reading one fiction book, but I read a lot more nonfiction because it's, it's so related to my job. That feels like work. I'm yeah. definitely to unwind fiction. I don't read it before I go to bed though, because I find that the story just plays in my mind, whether I'm at the beginning or at the end of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, which depending on the type of book can wreak havoc with your dreams. Absolutely.
1: You, if you're a dreamer, which I am.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about your book and of course goals is a part of the framework you lay out in think big what's the what's the approach that you suggest that people take as they're rethinking what their goals are and in in life and and how that plays into the other components of the framework environment building resilience where do they all fit together and how did that framework come about
1: well it's a really big question so starting with goals I think the, the key to think big is to imagine where you would be if there were no constraints, um, and then think about what are the small steps that will get you there. So those small steps are essentially habits. And yeah. the reason that I kind of put that forward is because taking a long run perspective makes you, is more realistic for most of us. I mean, to, to, to transition into any new career, you do need to put in the hard yards in the beginning, and it can feel like there's no gains. And then all of a sudden you have exponential gains. So whether you talk to a YouTuber about what it takes to succeed at YouTube, what of them that they will basically say, it's content, 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 content. And then maybe three years later, you get, you get all the fans that you actually want. If you ask somebody who's studying law, it's study, 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 study. And then you get to go and kind of, um, a, a, and do some litigation. And it really aligns with that and taking that long run perspective, which isn't easy, I think, in a world where people are so short term. And I think if you can take that long run, um, long run vision, you really do um, give yourself a competitive edge. And I think what's different about Think Big is I don't encourage people to look at jobs. I don't encourage people to look at lifestyles. I ask them to think about the tasks they want to do on a day-to-day basis. So what are the activities that they want to be caught up with? And then to identify a job that would allow them to do those tasks and activities Um, and the small steps then map directly to those tasks and activities. Um, And, you know, there's there's many more chapters in the book and you've asked specifically about resilience. So I'll skip forward to um, pretty Mm -hmm. much the last chapter where I do talk about resilience. Um, And I really believe, you know. So I'm not someone who is 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 that caught up in, in the happiness movement. I think actually, if you want to be happy, you should stop focusing on happiness and kind of set about finding a job that allows you to work with integrity and live with integrity and then happiness essentially finds you. But the one skill that I do think that we need to pay attention to is resilience. So in, you know, really kind of thinking about, am I drained? Um, what What fills me up? What makes me kind of feel good in a particular moment? And good here is distinct from happiness. So, you know, I work, when I work and I find flow in my work, I'm definitely feeling kind of really good. I feel like I have much more energy afterwards. I feel energized. However, I'm definitely not happy in the middle of those activities. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in another world. So I couldn't actually, I, I couldn't even describe a mood. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people who exercise will tell you they're miserable while they're pounding the pavement, actually. It is something that they need to garner grit every single day to get out and do it. But nonetheless, when they come back, they're energized by it. So thinking about resilience and kind of honing resilience through activities like that and also preserving resilience. So paying attention to how you're spending your time and particularly the interactions and reactions that you're having with people who come about your way and seeing if you can change them. Can you change about how you react to particular situations in order to make sure that you're not kind of getting this emotional drain? And at the same time, maybe some of your interactions need to fall away. So maybe you're constantly exposing yourself to toxic people in your circle or at work and you can do a bit less of that. And if we think about good New Year's resolutions, which is where we started, I think that's a really good one. You know, paying attention to your own interactions, reactions how what's actually stressing you out in a particular day and is there a way to kind of minimize that stress to preserve your resilience
0: yeah lo- loads to follow up on there I'm, I'm going to start with that last point so I think one of the challenges people have is that life is life's kind of moving along so quickly and particularly a lot of people's work lives you know their their days are packed with meetings a lot of their work is defined by others and actually taking the time to reflect on even the things that are giving them positive energy versus you know bringing them down can be quite twi- quite challenging. Have you thought much about how, in a from a practical point of view, people can record that? I, I mean, there's some very obvious issues which arise. You know, sometimes you just have a visceral feeling against somebody, right? And that's you know it's easy to identify that that's not not a, you know something great to have in your life. But some things can sort of gradually chip away at you and actually don't realize without taking a step back or, or perhaps recording that feeling in some way. How do we actually go about doing that in the sort of realities of a busy life?
1: I mean, I think the first thing is the, the visceral feeling that you you spoke about. I think often if it's a first impression, you know, you might be having bitten by the fundamental attribution error where a person is just in a bad position. So, for example, maybe they're acting like a jerk um but maybe they have good reason behind it and, and I, i'm a real believer of giving people for one strike a break two strikes no break but one strike definitely a break you, you could you can get away with it um but i think kind of more fundamentally thinking about how we kind of spend our time and our emotions if if, if people haven't done this it's actually a really useful activity to think about your week activities chunk up the time into 15 minutes write down what you're doing in those 15 minute slots and very basically how it makes you feel, right? So this doesn't need to be um, anything that has to do with journaling. And then at the end of that week, reflecting on your week backwards and think three different categories. So how much of my time did I spend on things that gave myself to my future? So kind of this idea of kind of thinking big and investing in the future and making sure what you want to do in the future actually is realized. Um, How much of it actually was about the present day and my happiness in the present day and kind of utility in the present day and joy in the present day and how much of it was a waste of time. So I would bucket in this, you know, meetings that we spend too much time on, conversations that drain us, um, busy work that really doesn't serve anybody, um, including our employer. And that last bucket should be called away. And you'd be surprised when you do this, most people have a significant amount of time caught up in these kind of busy activities that aren't serving anybody, including themselves. Um, I also think it's a good idea to start stealing time away from those moments where we're happy only in the moment to kind of investing in the long run. And you kind of think about this as, you know, I can be happy today or I can I can invest in something that actually gives me purpose. And once you start investing in the long run, very quickly, people realize that those investments will actually give them this kind of feeling of satisfaction. So it mightn't mm. be the joy you get if you go out and you have, you know, an amazing meal in a very expensive restaurant and you laugh all the evening with your friend. It won't be that feeling, but there is kind of this more kind of, you know, content um, kind of emotion that actually comes over somebody knowing that they're setting themselves up um, to be secure in the future. And, you know, I think the one thing that is really worth kind of reflecting on is that, you know, in happiness and misery, have don't have the same proportionate effects on each other so you definitely want a certain you know basis of happiness in your life um but paying attention to not being miserable is really really important so if you're spending time on things that are making you miserable you know you mightn't be able to stop talking to that annoying cousin because you don't want to cut your family off but you can probably talk to them a bit less so thinking mm. about those compromises that you so you can give yourself some time back
0: yeah just going back to that point you made around enjoyment in the moment so uh, you mentioned a couple of things flow being one of them where actually the the challenge is a necessary part of getting into flow you know having the right balance between um, your skills and the challenge or if you're exercising if you're getting fitter by nature that means having to push yourself a little bit harder each time and I, I wonder whether actually it's not necessarily you need to enjoy every moment but get an enjoyment from pushing yourself through something which puts yourself out of the comfort zone i think that's a skill you can build over time can't you
1: it is and i think the having so so the whole idea of kind of thinking big and then the small steps that are mapped is really really important because if we bite off more than we can chew which you ultimately might feel like doing if you're going for a lofty goal the power of our own narratives so or the power of our own storytelling to ourselves that we quit when we bite off more than we can chew it's really really powerful and it stops people from starting so if i today having not exercised in an incredible long period of time was to go and try to you know run 10 miles um that would be a really really bad idea for me and actually the best thing that i can probably do in, in that situation is go for a walk and walk with uh, vis- uh, vigorously for 30 minutes and and mm. the reason for that is that you're building up slowly and that's really kind of the change that I would love to see people make, that they that they focus on the long game where they can think big, anything is possible. And then they put these small steps in place. And I think what's really cool about this is that it gets you moving in a way that doesn't upset the balance of your life. And then always the question that will come up eventually is, you know, if I'm, if I'm thinking big and I have this goal that's so far out, maybe I become blinkered and I miss opportunities. And I think part of the framework that I have really takes that into account as well. And I really make the argument that if you're not moving forward, then you're going nowhere and you should always be looking out for other opportunities, but in the absence of having other opportunities, you should keep moving forward towards your goal when opportunities come up and you should actually be actively looking for them. And we can talk more about how you can make that happen later, but when more actually come up, um, you should then sit down and think, should I go off to the left and off to the right? Um, or should I stick to my course? But that's a, that's essentially a rational decision that you make as and when opportunities come your way.
0: Well, let's jump into the point you made there about how you actually do look for those opportunities. How can we put ourselves in a frame of mind to be constantly in search of opportunities to to help ourselves grow, whether that be in, in terms of our careers or our personal lives?
1: Yeah, so that, that's a really good question. So I think, you know, anybody who's listening... There will be kind of essentially three things that will determine you know where they succeed in life. So first is kind of the talent, the skills, and ability. I mean, I'm somebody who really thinks that that's not fixed at all, and and you know you can, you can change it at any particular place in your life. And, um, but there 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 is some kind of literature to kind of inform the the dimension of what, of what that picks up. The second is effort, which I'm really interested in. So that's kind of your classic productivity style. Um, literature in some ways how could I get myself to put in more effort and what does good effort mean as opposed to as opposed to poor effort? and the last then is luck and I think it's really worth focusing on luck so I've heard people say well you you can't make your own luck which isn't true at all Um, most people who think they got lucky will be unless you win the lottery um, and, and it truly is random will be able to trace back how they got lucky to a particular moment where they met somebody else who connected them with someone else or they were on somebody else's radar so the biggest way to expand your own opportunities then is to have a really good network where people where you're on people's radar essentially Um, and there's kind of two ways to do that you can just get out and start meeting people and you know spend more time having coffees having dinner going to networking events um, or B, you can put yourself on the horizon and kind of like a classic standing ovation model of other people by putting yourself out there on social media. So you could be somebody who writes blogs, for example. You could be somebody who describes what their skill set is. You could be somebody who does public speaking, but you give yourself this line of visibility to multiple people who become part of a network you never know exists until one of them come and offer you an opportunity. So for me these days, I think if, if, if I were to think about The opportunities that I'm taking this year the ones that I found and identified myself and the ones that others suggested to me and I took on board I think I'm now in a place where it's 90% other people whether they're people who approach me who I've never met before or whether it's people who are in my network saying I think this might be something good for you to kind of think about but I absolutely would encourage anybody who wants to succeed in life regardless of what they want to do to expand their networks either through a bigger presence on on, on, online and on social media or through getting out and meeting people in the right circles.
0: Yeah I'm really interested whether you always felt like that or perhaps but better put whether you're a natural networker or if it's a skill you had to build over time.
1: I'm a terrible networker I really I I won't say I don't enjoy I do I enjoy one-to-one so you know going kind of for coffee or for dinner with somebody I, I enjoy or in a very small group, the big networking events where you have to go and you shake people's hands. I'm, I'm you know, I'm an introvert in the sense of Susan Cain would describe it in that when I do those events, um, I, I, I feel very drained afterwards. And that's why, you know, for me and maybe for many of your listeners, it needs to be that you you carve out time to say, I'm going to I'm going to network and you you spoke in the beginning about you prioritizing your mental and physical health. Um, And for me, I prioritize, you know, how am I actually going to kind of put myself out there this week rather than staying um, in my room coding, which I used to like to do or writing papers or doing research that potentially nobody might might get to read. So I think in some ways, the advice that I'm giving is from having learned it in a way that I fell into it. But also that I now recognize that paying attention to that gives exponential gains, you know. So it's gone from my work being something that I might write that very few people would read to now lots of people are reading it. Lots of people are engaging with it and lots of people are are reaching out to me.
0: Yeah. And I can attest to the fact that that doesn't happen overnight. You've really got to work Mm -hmm. at it. And it can be there are moments of uh, where it feels very demoralizing when uh, very few people are engaging with it. Are you, you know, it's easy to say, well, you just need to keep pushing on, but are there, you know, techniques or have you seen examples of how people can build that level of resilience in in the moment? You read it and you see it and you hear it, but actually giving yourself the confidence to do it when you feel like you've put all your effort in and it hasn't been acknowledged is quite tough.
1: So I think the first thing is is that, you know, there's a really good literature to tell us that confidence can be built um, and people who have been had extraordinarily low confidence can go on to develop confidence. It's quite extraordinary and vice versa. People who were born with confidence can have their confidence dashed to a point that they never, never give up. So I really want the readers to be the former um, Mm -hmm. rather than to be the latter. I think the problem for us is that we're hardwired to think in terms of success and failure. And this could be evolutionary. So if I failed when I was a cave person I was probably dead right so or I I was in the process of being eaten so maybe I'm slightly alive but my leg is my leg has been eaten off but bad things happened to me and I think now that it's changed actually so in order to be successful and in order to thrive you do need to fail and there's something just in us as human beings where as soon as we get a rejection as soon as somebody tells us no um we really really shun away from that and I think if we were able to relabel for ourselves success and failure through I'm going through a process and I'm going to learn an incredible amount. And whether I get the job, get the gig or not is down to luck versus my effort. And afterwards, really pay attention to did I fail to use you know society's language because of myself or because of luck? Or was it down to something that, I, you know, that, that that some kind of was it down to something that I can change or was it down to something that's up to the universe? That becomes, I think, a really, really important, um, a really important aspect of succeeding. And I, if people can swallow the learning, you know, if you go to Silicon Valley and you meet people who who created a unicorn, I can tell you they'll say that they they failed 13 companies and they burnt loads of cash. And now they're really delighted to be here. And that's true whether the person is 25, 35, 85. Right. So. For the longest time since I've been alive, the people who I've met in my life, for them to do well, they've needed to fail. I just think, unfortunately, our society is moving, or maybe fortunately, but our society is moving even more in the direction of put yourself out there or you're not going to get ahead. So some of it comes down to confidence and your ability to putting your your um, your hat in the ring rather than your skills, talent, and ability.
0: Yeah, I think with luck, I think sometimes luck... Is relevant in terms of timing. So you know, people have the right product at the right time, and that's why it scales. You know, you you hit a zeitgeist with something that you're working on, and it, and it accelerates. But I think it was also true: is if you keep putting yourself out there and putting yourself in the right positions consistently, your timing will your time will come. You see what I mean? Yeah. I think that's, and I think that's probably the the easy sort of way to think about it is. You know, timing does matter. There is a certain luck in that, but actually, if you, you if you go again and again and again, at some point over your very probably long career, you're gonna you're gonna have opportunities which arise.
1: And I think it's well getting rid of arrogance. So you know, at the moment, I'm um, I'm thinking of setting up a business actually, and there's parts of that that I know nothing about. And when I have mm-hmm. conversations with people who um, know much more than me, I just say, look, I really know nothing about. So can you really treat me like I'm, I'm at zero? And even if, when they talk, you know, some of it will be familiar to me. But hearing that again in a different language from a different person is really beneficial to me. And and again, if I was to go and find that knowledge online or read about it, you don't get to question the online source. Mm. So, I think if you're, I think if, if 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 you find yourself in a cycle where you're getting told no or not, or you or you're failing a lot, taking a pause, asking three or something people in your network for advice who are different but who have expertise in why you might be failing. And taking that on board becomes really important because often it might be that you don't know the rules of the game that you're in, particularly if you're a newbie. um, And the fastest way to catch up on that is to is to speak to people who are already doing well in the game. And I can honestly tell you, if you get time with somebody who's doing well, the majority of them are very happy to kind of give away. You know, most people don't hoard information, um, but they're not looking for you to tell you the information either. So that job is up to you. So who's the right person for me to ask advice in a particular thing, and let's get that advice in as quick way as possible and take it on board. And, and really yeah. take that on board.
0: So on that that point about feedback, I'm interested how early feedback kind of spurred you on in your career. I mean, did it did it influence you positively, negatively? What was the relationship you had with feedback as you started started off in your career?
1: So I think over my life, I've changed a lot. And the one thing that I haven't changed is on feedback. So I think I've always been somebody who really wanted critical feedback. And I I, I groan when people give me compliments and stuff. I really find mm-hmm. it hard to, so it just doesn't sit with me. And I try it when people actually point out what I'm doing wrong. Because that allows me to think, are they right or are they wrong? And if they're right, now I'm going to fix it. But I always, I always, always, always pause when people actually give me feedback. And the more critical, the better. And I think if you have a stomach for it, it's actually a really good way to go through life. Because you're not overly, you don't get an ego, actually. You're not sitting bathing in the accolades of people telling you that you're doing um, a great job. You're always trying to self-improve. And, you know, for better or worse, my PhD was in economics. And economists are mean. You know, absolutely mean. So I, I, I in some ways, I'm sorry I didn't do a PhD in computer science because computer scientists are much more welcoming. Economists are mean. They're known for being mean. They run seminars where they're extraordinarily critical. I mean, I remember doing one seminar at the LSE and my blood was on the floor. I was very young from like these these senior, senior professors just like hammering me. But, you know, that paper went on to get published in a really, really great journal. And I kind of came out of that not really. And people asked me if I was okay after it. And I, I came out of it not really... That bothered because I kind of think if they took the time to sit there, even if they're not delivering the feedback in a neutral tone and it feels a bit aggressive, this is feedback that I should be paying that I should be paying attention to.
0: Yeah, and if, the, if there's one thing that's true of when you start a business, you've got to develop a really thick skin because you know rejection it comes with the territory. Certainly, if you're you know trying to sell your ideas, sell your product to, to people, you know that that is exactly what you're looking for. Customer interviews, customer feedback are often what define. The scope of a product and make it a success so yeah I mean it's certainly uh, certainly a, a skill and a muscle to build I, I'm interested from the point of view of experimentation how you approach things in that case you get really brutal feedback and um, you know take it on board positively how do you then experiment I mean is experimentation important to the way that we design our careers for example testing out new new avenues
1: I mean, it's a great question. So I think only it's only recently that I'm testing out new avenues in my own career. So in some ways, I'm in an experimental mode as you actually asked me that question. Yeah. But I think the answer is really yes. So I think in some, you know, the the traditional career really is gone, and, and you know, I'm in a traditional career, but the tasks within it have really kind of changed over time. And I think it's useful for people who might actually be in a job to t- kind of take a, a step back and say, are there other things that I could do outside my my role? would make me feel, you know, happy, give me contentment and diversify my income streams. You know, I know we're in Britain. And I mean, if I talk to Americans, we end up talking about money first. And in Britain, people kind of cringe when we talk about money. But ultimately, we want to be secure in our retirement. So even if you're not somebody who puts a value on, you know, being a millionaire or, 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 or being kind of listed in Forbes, most powerful, wealthy people, you still do want a certain base of income to kind of keep you keep you going. And I think if you put some thought into that, you'd be really surprised. And I would encourage you that if you come up with nothing, to look at other people who have the same type of role that you do currently, um, who are, and I think if you Google them, you will absolutely find what you need and look to see what they're doing that's slightly different to you. So, you know, I'm not expecting everybody is going to be, you know, doing TV appearances or writing for the Harvard Business Review, but there are loads of extra activities that we can now do. And a lot of this is about information. So I you know, if if you're struggling with what you could do this different, think what is the information that I have that's unique to somebody who who isn't in my role, and how can I put that information out there in a way that's actually helpful to people that I'm adding value into the world? And I think once you're adding value into the world, you're persistent and you build your network, you will succeed. You will succeed within the within the market that you're in.
0: Yeah. I'm interested in this idea of a personal narrative. I wonder whether you've kind of created your own narrative about your career and how you've ended up here. Can we take positives out of the unique circumstances which have led us to to where we all are today?
1: I mean, I think it's... So I, I'm often asked, like, to trace my career trajectory, and I feel really guilty because I think at the end of the day, I am a computer scientist and economist because I'm not a really good storyteller. I, I didn't have a linear path into academia. Um, And it also doesn't have kind of a fairy tale story that I could stand in a TED talk and regale people with it. But I think for a lot of people who have that story, have that kind of storyline, it's because they've knitted together kind of events that, you know, opportunities that they've had in a way that makes sense of their lives. So we're constantly looking to make sense of their lives. And I guess what I try to do in Think Big is ask people to kind of take control of that. And rather than looking backwards and trying to knit together these unrelated um, incidences into a storyline about how I ended up in a particular place rather think about what could I actually be doing differently and take control of that. So ultimately, your story will always come from the luck or, you know, kind of networks, things that you're not expecting, the uncertain points in your life. But I'd love if our personal narratives could actually tell more the story of what did I take control of, what was firmly within my grasp um, and what was done to me that I actually achieved. That that kind of that, that, that kind of self. Um, yeah. Is, is really really important to internalize because you, you you've spoken a lot i know about you know the length of our careers and needing to work for an incredibly long time and if we're if we if we're not self-aware enough to know what i can control to make things more secure for myself both in terms of position that i actually get to work x amount of hours a week and also in the amount of money that i actually get i don't think we're doing the best for ourselves
0: we are currently in the middle of a pandemic we're working in a very different way and there's sort of an idea that work's going to be decoupled from employment in some way and we're all going to go it alone and plow lots of different furrows perhaps work for different employers if that's the case what challenges that presents to us all as individuals and 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 whether whether there's specific advice or specific specific preparation we should be making for that kind of world big question again sorry (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's a big question. I, I've been talking a lot, actually, about the future of work and more from the companies and from economy's perspective. And I think, you know, it's useful to kind of reflect. So around the world in Britain, people are calling something, you know, the great resignation. And they're saying that people are resigning from their jobs and they're doing that because of mental health reasons and also from wanting more, more work life balance. In China, there's something that's called um, the lie down movement. And that's kind of prompted by them having this nine, nine, six week where they're working from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. in professional jobs. Monday to Saturday, so that's where the six the six comes from. And we see these trends in Germany, Japan, and the U.S. Um, and I think what's really interesting is to think about what's actually bringing them around. Now, the so so the first thing to say is that when it comes to the economy in general, which my, I'm just going to bore your readers for for a second, but I promise that it, it, it will get to an interesting point. Um, the the countries that I I have named and many many others around the world have had wage stagnation, rising house prices, rising cost of education, and a rising number of individuals who are in precarious employment with very limited pension benefits for a very long time before COVID. And I think people were very aware of that. So when you speak to people, even if they were in professional work, how they actually managed their standard of living was very, very difficult. Getting on the housing ladder was very, very difficult. A typical complaint for a, a young professional in any major cities throughout the world. And then you also had um, individuals who would be on minimum wages really actually finding it hard to to get by. So, you know, food insecurity, income insecurity, much higher than it used to be. And I think what COVID did was it made debt salient to us. So whether you were scared of COVID or not, you turn on the telly for a period of time and we were seeing, you know, not just mortality figures, people in hospital, people having a really bad um, time from alpha through to Delta with COVID. I think with Omicron, those pictures have kind of, have kind of eased down, but also a lot of people got to go home. So they got to go home because they were not necessarily sick because they had been pinged. Um, So if you were in a job, you couldn't go to work because you have been pinged. And a lot of professional workers got sent home to work. And I think that's ultimately changed our preferences for, we want more work-life balance. We want to work less hours, and we want more time, um, ultimately, with our family and with our friends. Whether that sustains in the future is really up to whether people make a decision to have a much more low stuff life. I'm going to call it. So the reason that we've been able to sustain people going to work and on this hamster wheel is because most of the economies that I've mentioned are consumption economies. So once you get something, you want something else. So Whatever your first pair of shoes are, you're constantly kind of graduating until you're demanding a pair of Gucci shoes and then personalized Gucci shoes. And that, you know, to get to that part of Gucci might sound quite far fetched, but if everybody can kind of think about the amount of stuff they've acquired over the last period of time, whether or not it's made them happy. And I'm not talking about shifting to, being green conscious, which ultimately it will help the environment, but green conscious, the stuff is even more expensive, right? So people are cashing in on that already. I'm talking about people actually wanting less stuff. Then we sustain the model that we're in, which will be a really interesting place where essentially people, and it's particularly the younger generation are saying no to growth. And they're saying, actually, I'm happy for less stuff, but I want more work-life balance. I want the meditation time, the yoga time. I want time with my family. and At the moment, we're in a transition phase, and I don't know if that will stick. Um, my guess is that there's going to be some legacy, but even in the absence of people still wanting more stuff and getting back on the hedonic treadmill and really aspiring to high status lifestyles, the imprint of hybrid work, shifts to technology, virtual conferences, all of those will remain with us.
0: So specifically, what could listeners do to prepare themselves for the future of work?
1: So I think the first thing is to embrace the uncertainty um, and to control what you can control. I think having a skill, so think about yourself as a T. So having a skill where you have deep knowledge um, that is different from other people is really, really fundamental to the changes that are actually coming about at the moment. But I think what's even more are what people are calling soft skills, which is actually incorrect. So it's not just about being good with people, But I think being somebody who can actually talk across different disciplines, people with different knowledge, sit in the room where you're not the smartest person in the room, but be the person to bring them together, that's ultimately going to be something that the labour market wants. And it also allows you to develop exciting content online, which I hope many of your listeners will do.
0: Well, that's great advice to finish. Grace, thank you very much. Um, Really appreciate your time this morning.
1: It's been awesome, Molly. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: And that was my conversation with Grace Lord, and there's loads in there to mull over. So I'll be doing that over the next few days. And we'll no doubt share some thoughts on the themes we discussed in the newsletter over the coming weeks. Next week, I've got another top quality guest, so make sure you tune in again. Until then, have a great week.